This is a very serious podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Splank Nicks. We are, um, I'm your host, Claire. <laughs> I'm your Start again. Start again. Let's go kind of slowly. Because I do I do the I'm your host, blah, 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 you know, during the first part before all the music? Mm hmm. Okay. Mm hmm. I thought I did it right after the music. No. I think because you say, I, I think we go you back say we're going to talk about blank. Stay tuned. Dun, 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 dun. And I come back and, and we you just come back and say, Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this next episode of Splanknicks. I'm your host, Claire T. Walker. I'm an independent author, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my daughter, uh, theater professional, Hannah Kubiak. Hi. For a moment there, I thought you forgot my name. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I remember your name. Today, we are continuing our discussion of uh, William Shakespeare and his plays, so hopefully what will follow will be uh, much ado about something. Uh-huh. Well, I... Uh, didn't really prepare anything about Shakespeare, but I have a couple more, um, a couple of suggestions. Do you want to hear them? Sure. Okay. So, um, we could talk about <clears throat> the battle with the centaurs to be sung by an Athenian eunuch to the harp. That sounds great. Yeah. What about the riot of the tipsy bacchanals tearing the Thracian singer in their rage? <laughs> Excellent. All right. And uh, the thrice three muses mourning for the death of learning late deceased in beggary. Nah. No. Okay. Uh, oh, what about this one? A tedious, brief scene of young Pyramus and his love, Thisbe. Very tragical mirth. Sounds great. Yeah. Merry and tragical, tedious and brief. That's hot ice and wondrous strange snow. But how should we find the Concord in this discord? Let's go. Welcome to Splanknicks, the Society for the Preservation of Literature, the Arts, Numinosity, Culture, Humor, <laughs> Nerdiness, Inspiration, creativity, and storytelling. I wanted to get a little more specific about the types of plays that Shakespeare wrote. We talked in general um, about them last time, and this time I thought we could break it down. Break it down. Break it down into the type of Entertainment <laughs> time when all was simply strange and radiation causes chromosomes to be arranged. Okay, go ahead. Okay. What are, what are the different kinds of plays? Oh, the Shakespeare plays. Yes, well, we've got comedy and tragedy, um, history plays. And then there are some plays that are called the tragic comedies. And it's kind of, it, that's kind of a gray area. It's a little bit blurry. Um, they are sometimes called comedies because they end well, you know, but then also... They have tragical elements in them, like Measure for Measure, for example. It ends well, but it deals with some mature situations. Basically, there's this girl and her brother gets arrested, put in prison by this corrupt man, like a duke or something. Okay, let's back it up a little bit. What? What is a tragedy? And what is a comedy? Oh, you mean you wanted me to actually answer your question instead yeah. of just like going off about the Measure for Measure? And it's as entertaining as that was. Yes. The difference between a tragedy and a comedy in Shakespeare's time was the ending. Okay. So Shakespeare's comedies, they end happily, usually with the wedding of some lover characters. So comedy refers more to basically the happy ending. Mm -hmm. And it be funny throughout as well. Right. Because a lot of times uh, when we say comedy, people assume what we mean is something that's funny. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not necessarily funny, mm-hmm. but it would be just just a happy ending. Mm-hmm. That's that's the comedy. Yes. Okay. Uh, although Midsummer Night's Dream is hilarious. Yes. It's one of the funniest plays. So are a lot of the, the comedies that Shakespeare has, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, Love's Labor's Lost, pretty darn funny. Much Ado About Nothing has some great, yeah. great lines. So that's comedy. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a lighthearted, it's going to be a happy ending, or it's a feel-good, mm-hmm. a feel-good play. You're going to walk out of there feeling, yeah, great. Some of the themes oh. that show up in a Shakespearean comedy okay. are miscommunication, mistaken identity, disguises, uh, battle of wits, and then clownish or fool characters. Okay, so like in Twelfth Night, Malvolio is sort of a clownish character. who He's the one who his uh, co-workers trick him into thinking that the... Uh, the lady of the house is secretly in love with him. <laughs> very, and that's so funny. Yeah, very funny. Yeah. 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 Okay. They make, they make, did you hear what I just said? What? Very. And that's so funny. What is wrong with me? If they speak English, very. And that's so very. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's hilarious. They convince yeah. him that the thing to do to impress the lady and to let her know that he loves her back is to do her favorite thing, which is to wear yellow stockings. Long <laughs> yellow stockings. <laughs> so this this play go this guy goes through the whole play like wearing stockings around and like making sure this lady sees his yellow stockings. I think there's one scene where he comes in and he's like he's got the yellow stockings on. He like <laughs> and she's just like. What are you doing? You know, it's just all the front. <laughs> Those of you only listening, which is everybody, because we're not filming this. If anyone's Hannah, watching us, I'd be very concerned. Hannah went around the corner and sort of came in very demurely with her leg up. Well, hello there. Hello there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So comedy is a happy ending. Now, what's the difference between a comedy and a tragedy? First of all, the ending is different. It usually ends badly, like with, with a death. Often the death of the main character. Aristotle says that tragedy is the imitation of an action that is serious, arousing pity and fear, wherewith to accomplish a catharsis of these emotions. So catharsis is sort of like a release of emotions. We feel empathy for the tragic hero, and we can see how we ourselves could end up like that. We can see ourselves making the same mistakes. So the tragic hero is the, well, obviously, the hero of a tragedy. This, this hero possesses a tragic flaw or a hamartia mm. that ultimately will lead to his downfall. So like we were talking um, over lunch about this. Macbeth is a tragic hero. He's a great soldier who becomes too ambitious. He will do anything to be on top, even kill his, his king and his best friend, his best friend's children. That tragic flaw leads him, leads him into trouble. I think one of his other flaws might be that thinking that he's invincible. And another one might be listening to strange witches in the woods telling you things. So the tragic flaw leads to the hero's, mm-hmm. the tragic hero's undoing and downfall, downfall. Yeah. Well, Hamlet, we had trouble figuring that one out, what his tragic flaw is. Uh, I think that his uh, tragic flaw is, um, I'm going to talk about the temperaments really quick. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So one of the four temperaments is melancholy, right? Melancholic. And the main thing that melancholic people aspire for is perfection. When the the ghost of Hamlet's father appears and tells him that I was murdered by my brother and you must avenge me, avenge me. Hamlet isn't sure if the ghost 
is actually his father. It might just be taking the shape of his father to spur him on to make him do something that he'll regret, like murdering his uncle. Yeah, it might be an evil spirit that wants the downfall of Denmark. So he's really, he's not sure. He wants to basically eliminate every avenue that says that that is not true. That's why he kind of like dithers around for most of the play. It's another melancholy thing is having an overly uh, circuitous, complicated solution to a problem. <laughs> like thinking something to death. Literally. Yes. Thinking something to death. Overthinking something. Yeah. Overthinking mm-hmm. perfection. Wanting to hit the revenge to be perfect. So we can't just kill the guy while he's in the chapel. Because if, you, if he's going to get revenge on him for murdering his dad, he wants him to go to hell. So he's like, I could, I could do it right now. But wait, that would not be the perfect revenge. Yeah, no. because because the king at that point was in prayer and mm-hmm. uh, appeared to be repentant. Yes. And so, yeah, then and I think there's a line in there. He literally said, I could kill him now that he, yeah. he goes to heaven. No, I don't want to do that. Now might I do he, it, Pat? Yeah, he wants to not only kill the guy, but have him burn in hell. Yep. So, yep. Okay. So, yeah, the, the, the perfect revenge. But then he just impulsively stabs Polonius behind the curtain. You didn't think about that at all did you you know very very weird right well that didn't Polonius didn't really have anything to do with his plan though no he was just sort of uh, the way he did think point. he did think it was the king though oh he did yeah in Romeo and Juliet that's kind of interesting Romeo and Juliet they are just silly kids who fell in love and like got married a day after they met each other and everything uh, but the two families that have been warring for so long at the end of the play they decide to stop their feud because this is what the feud led to was their children dead, mm. you know. So it's like we've learned our lesson and we're going to change our ways, but it's too late. Mm-hmm. That's a hallmark of a tragedy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The, the, the hero may learn his or her lesson, but it's too late. Mm. They've paid the price for indulging in their tragic flaw or, or not dealing with their tragic flaw in time to save the lives of innocent people. Yeah. Like one of the things about Hamlet is there's one survivor. Yeah, literally one person is alive yeah. at the end of that play. Um, the stage is strewn with dead bodies at that yeah. point. Yeah. Imagine if Hamlet had just heard from the ghost, hey, my brother killed me. Avenge me. <laughs> and um, he said, OK, we'll do. And then just that that night, just like goes downstairs, stabs the king in his bed. End of story. Literally. Yeah. So there's no play. But instead, yeah, but instead he puts an antic disposition on. He breaks Ophelia's heart because he was just too focused on his convoluted revenge plan. He didn't have time to give their relationship the attention that it needed. I think that the story of Ophelia is is almost worse than anything else in that play. About how It's pretty sad. It is so sad. At her graveside, he said, I, he said, I loved her. Yeah. yeah, what would you do for her that I wouldn't do? I so he did love her, but he treated her very badly. Yeah, yeah, it ended ended badly. Yeah, so so yeah, he pretends to be crazy. He breaks his girlfriend's heart. He arranges this whole play to catch the conscience of the king and see if that like upset everybody. Went and said all sorts of horrible things to his mother. Killed Polonius and then. When the fencing duel happens, he wasn't trying to kill anybody. Laertes is the one who came back yeah. with the revenge plan. 
to with the poison yeah. on the blade and everything. Yeah. And he did it straightforward. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. He poisoned. Did it do it? Awesome. But yeah. Dithering around. I think that's him. What's <laughs> tragic? <laughs> dithering around. <laughs> Indecisive. Indecisiveness. Yeah. But but yeah. Almost though. You were saying the perfection. He wanted the perfect to commit the perfect revenge. Ended pretty badly, but just about everybody couldn't. Yeah. I mean, the only the only thing wrong with his plan was that Horatio was still alive at the end of it. <laughs> but what about the other kinds of plays? I, for example, the the historical plays. Yes. Are those tragedies, comedies, a little bit of both? One of the, you know, are they or As far as the definition of a tragedy and a comedy in uh, Shakespearean terms goes, I would say that it's a mixture of both. Because, uh, for example, Richard III ends like a tragedy. Our main character dies. But Henry V, for instance. Uh, Henry wins the war in France. Mm-hmm. Gets the French girl. Yes. You know, wins her over. All is good. All is well. Yeah, that's a very sort of patriotic English uh, story. <clears throat> so uh, you've got it's mostly most of the most of the history plays cover the uh, War of the Roses, which is between the Lancasters and the Yorks. And so you've got Richard the Third is a York, Henry the Fifth, for example is from the uh, Lancaster line. He wins the battle to reclaim English land from the French. He gets the French girl, all that stuff. It's all in a putting Lancaster in a good light because the current monarch, when Shakespeare was writing this, was Elizabeth I, who was descended from the Lancasters, albeit kind of distantly, because... Her grandfather, Henry VII, defeated Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth, which is the battle at the end of Richard III, where my kingdom for a horse, and okay. all that. Yeah. The reason that Richmond, who became Henry VII, the reason that Richmond was a, um, got the throne was because he wasn't a Lancaster. He was the son of Edmund Tudor. So he's one of the Tudors. Tudor. T-U-D-O-R. Yep. T-U-D-O-R. He was a descendant of Edward III through John of Gaunt, Duke of Lancaster, because his mother, Margaret Beaufort, was from the Lancaster line. That's where he gets his claim from. So Henry, yeah, Henry VII is a Lancaster through his, uh, through his mother's line. He was Elizabeth I's grandfather. So you gotta, when you're writing plays for Elizabeth I, you don't want to make her relatives look bad that could get you beheaded back in those days mm-hmm. so he would uh put the the rivals mm-hmm. to that line of succession to the throne as those are the bad guys richard the third and mm-hmm. who else who else is on that side there's the there's the the duke of york that's richard's father okay duke of york is uh the main antagonist in most of henry the sixth who is the son of henry the fifth so it was all about how the Duke of York, who was basically sort of Lord Protector of the throne because Henry VI was crowned when he was a year old. Eventually, Henry says, well, wait a minute, I'm older now. Mm-hmm. Henry, Henry VI, he, H- when he became old enough. I'm older now. Yeah. You know, but at that point, 
the Duke of York is like, I'm, I've been Lord Protector for so long. Kind of like the stewards of Gondor. Yeah. You know, where it's like, we've been stewards for so long. Why don't we just call, why don't we just be kings? Why, mm. why are we still stewards? Yeah. Let's talk uh, a little bit about something that we were, that you mentioned. Remember in our first episode, we were talking about Yambic Pentameter? Yes. And we were speaking about how all the plays are written in iambic pentameter for the most part but it yes. turns out they're not all written in iambic, pentam- iambic pentameter there are some parts mm. in particular midsummer night's dream where it's uh it's not the characters do not speak in iambic pentameter and then some of the characters it's not unrhymed they're speaking in mm-hmm. rhymed verse yes so talk about that so shakespeare used different kinds of language, whether it was using prose or verse to sort of distinguish between the classes of different people. So for example, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, all of the nobles speak in iambic pentameter. Sometimes it's rhymed and sometimes it isn't. And I'm not quite sure exactly why that is. And then the mechanicals, the commoners the comic relief the comic the commoners on the comic relief yeah they speak prose here you have a line in here in your um in your things from oberon oh yeah i You've know got, a bank uh, where the wild thyme blows yeah where ox slips and the nodding violet grows quite over canopied with luscious woodbine with sweet musk roses and with eglantine. So you would, if you were doing the beats to that, be the word time, for the sake of scansion, that's two syllables. Oh, really? So, hmm. I know a bank where the wild thyme grows. Where ox slips and the, the nodding violet grows. In fact, yeah, Quite the word old. violet, you could say that with three syllables. Violet? But it's often mm-hmm. done with just two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite over canopied with luscious wood. So there's a little bit. He cheats a little bit. And with eglantine. It's not always. It's not always a perfect ten syllables. No. There, sometimes there, it's eleven. Like, yeah. To be or not to be is eleven. Yeah. Syllables. And, and but the Elizabethans, uh, they understood that, and that's mm-hmm. that's allowed. So yeah. yeah. As long as there are five stressed syllables, you're good to go. Yeah, that's interesting. That that he uh, he changes the the, the the diction and the manner of speaking depending on who they are. You know, the, the nobles, mm-hmm. the Athenian nobles, and the and the king of the fairies in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Oberon speaks yeah. in rhymed rhymed verse. Yeah. And then the the lowly ones are speaking just regular. They're not they're not poetical. They're just no. speaking in rough rough language. Mm-hmm. So I I thought that was good. That uh, that's a nice sort of artistic touch there by Shakespeare that without it's it's subtextual characterization essentially is what it is yeah you know the nobles are speaking in very high noble speech you know poems that poetic diction that is so noble that it rhymes and then the lowliest characters in the play they don't even they don't even get to speak in poetry they're yeah. just rough speech so mm-hmm. we've, we've covered tragedy comedy the histories mm-hmm. what about something like like the tempest now that is a straight up fantasy. These people are shipwrecked on an island, and on the island is basically a sorcerer mm-hmm. and his daughter and a magic elf or sprite, Ariel. Yeah, yeah. And also, there's this 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 creature, this sort of mis- I don't know who he is. He's like, like a, a monster, he's like a misborn, a misborn creature, Caliban. <laughs> yeah. And th- and so this these four on this island, and then and then Prospero, he's mm-hmm. a sorcerer, and so he creates a storm to basically draw. 
Um, it's I think it's his brother, right? His brother's ship upon the rocks. Yes. And he's going to wreak some havoc and some revenge upon them. It's, I mean, maybe there are some com- there are some comedic elements into it because Miranda yeah. and Ferdinand end up. Yeah. As, yeah. Uh, so Miranda, uh, who's the daughter of Prospero, and then Ferdinand, who is the son of I believe another nobleman. Alonso, the king of Naples, get stranded along with Antonio, who is the usurping Duke of Milan, who took the uh, throne from Prospero, who was his brother and the right Duke of Milan. Mm -hmm. And Ferdinand is the son of Alonso, the king of Naples. So Prospero basically wants his dukedom back, and he wants to create an alliance between Milan and Naples by marrying Miranda and Ferdinand. There are comic bits, like... Caliban, Stefano, and uh, Trinculo are hilarious together. And there's a lot of sprites and elves and fairies and trickery going on and everything. But it, and it all ends happily in the end. Like, nobody actually died. You know, like, um, Alonzo thinks that Ferdinand was killed in the storm. And then they find him again. And he's, like, he's playing chess with Miranda. And they say, <laughs> oh my goodness, you're alive. And he says, yeah, and I found this chick. Ah. You know, and he's like, oh, the... Joy! Yeah. Well, you're alive, and we can have a wedding. Yay. The best, the best of both worlds. Yeah, so that's, so, so I guess, I guess it's a comedy then, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's a comedy, I would say. Um, it can... Because, you know what? It is, isn't it? Because it's got all this sort of intrigue going on, and then you have, uh, like, mistaken thing. Like, they think he's dead, but he's not. Mm-hmm. But then there's also these, these this comic relief this, this trio of comic relief, Caliban, Trinculo, and who's the other guy? Stefano. Stefano. Yeah. Are there, in the tragedies, there is also comic relief, though. Yes. Because, you know, you can't be just, you know, doom and gloom and, and horrendous. No. Yeah, that's why they call it comic relief. Yeah. You need a little bit of a break from death dealing and the conspiracies and the backstabbing and the cooking people for dinner and all that. In Hamlet, that would be probably Polonius. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Ah, yes. The people who come to talk to him while he's feigning madness. And mm-hmm. he kind of has he kind of has a little battle of wits with them. Polonius comes in and he says, Do you know me, my lord? And he says, Yes, you are a fishmonger. And he <laughs> says he says something like, I am like I'm not a fishmonger, you're mistaken, or something like that. And then Hamlet says, Well then, I wish that you were so honest a man. <laughs> so like so <laughs> Polonius is funny. I mean, mm-hmm. his little speech that he gives to Laertes as he's sending him off to school. Yeah. Sometimes people will 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 quote from that speech as if what he said is actually salutary. Yeah. Because he's meant to be an idiot, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, but some people will still like quote what he says as if he's giving sound advice to someone to, mm-hmm. that would apply anywhere. Like, to thine own self be true. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So this 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 idiot is is saying that and so I mean I guess yeah. we could say well maybe that's not exactly what 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 Shakespeare believes that. It yeah. should be the best advice. <laughs> Neither a borrower nor a lender be. <laughs> I guess that doesn't sound like bad advice, though. No. So there are comic elements in a tragedy, but that's kind of to lighten the mood. In Much Ado About Nothing, the whole thing is a comedy, but the neighborhood watch is hilarious. It's Dogberry and all of his watch people, and he gets all his words mixed up. He says, you villains will be, will be damned to everlasting redemption for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
things like that. <laughs> well, that was good. That was good to um, yeah. kind of lay out those, those, those sort of three, I guess, major types of mm-hmm. of stories that, that that Shakespeare wrote: tragedies, comedies, and then those historicals that mm-hmm. could be either one. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent. I mean, historical biographies, I guess, is what you call those, or a biopic, the modern, uh, yeah, you know, the, the yeah, Shakespeare version, Shakespearean of, the version of a biopic. Biopic. I uh, really enjoyed that, and I learned a lot from from your uh, from your, your Shakespearean wisdom there. Oh gosh. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I hope uh, hope our listeners were uh, yeah. also got as much out of that as I did out of that discussion. Yeah. So yeah, so if you, if you are one of a, a person, we the, the question we asked at the beginning of our um, previous episode was, you know, what would you say to someone who says that they hate Shakespeare, mm-hmm. or um, who would like to like Shakespeare but they just don't know, they just don't get it, they don't know how to start. Just just start watching it. I wouldn't necessarily start with reading the plays mm. or taking a class in Shakespeare. I would just try to watch them the way they were intended to be enjoyed. Yeah, yeah they weren't made to be scholarly works. They were written as entertainment. Yeah. There is, there's more body humor in there than you'd think. Oh, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you see, and if you see a, a cast who's mm-hmm. who's well trained and they know what they're doing and they're well directed, mm-hmm. they can make uh, even 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 when they utter the words, you might mm-hmm. not know what specifically some of those words mean. Yeah, but but the the way they they the, the physical action of the actors, I think, mm-hmm. in a Shakespeare play is just as important as the way they they deliver the words. Right? Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, yeah. I encourage you if you've never seen a Shakespeare play, you know, start start with some of the more popular, you know, movie versions that are done. You know, like like I said, I think we mentioned the Mel Gibson version of Hamlet was is mm-hmm. excellent. What did you think of the movie version of Midsummer Night's Dream? I it's been a while since I saw it. Because I've only I've only ever seen Midsummer Night's Dream on stage, oh, okay. and I don't know that I really care to watch any other way. <laughs> Much Ado About Nothing with Kenneth Branagh and uh, Denzel Washington and Keanu yeah. Reeves and Emma Thompson is quite good. And the Titus Andronicus, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. It's, it's pretty it's, gnarly. It's weird, but good. It's weird and gnarly. Um, the, the Patrick Stewart Macbeth mm-hmm. is also weird it's and gnarly. weird and gnarly, but good. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, version of The Tempest with... Um, I believe Helen Mirren mm. plays Prospero. So yeah. there's an interesting casting Prospera, there. Prospera, yeah. Prospera, yeah. And then we it have, could be, yeah. And then we have um, um, Alfred Molina and Russell Brand playing uh, uh, um, Stefano and Stefano Trinculo. And, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the name of the actor. He played um, Maximus's friend in Gladiator. Right. He plays Caliban. yeah. And, he's really uh, good. Too. Yeah, he's really good in that role as, as Caliban. Yeah. But did you know that that Tempest and then the Titus Andronicus were both directed by the same, the same director, Julie Tamor? I think I knew that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. She's really you can kind of tell. Really interesting director. She didn't yeah. do Macbeth, did she? Also, no. Oh, okay, no. okay, because that seems sort of disturbing. Also, no. <laughs> in, a, in a weird way, it's really good to watch watch these plays. Mm-hmm. Um, we're into. Summer where Shakespeare in the Park could be a thing near you. So yeah. absolutely go and take advantage of that. All right. Well, thanks everybody. We hope you enjoyed that. Yeah. We will see you at our at our next at our next episode. Yes. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. The Splank Mix Podcast is produced by Claire T. Walker and Hannah Kubiak. You can contact us by emailing splanknixpodcast at gmail.com. 
We welcome episode topic suggestions, personal anecdotes, and corrections for those rare occasions when we don't know what we're talking about. Visit SplankNext.com for show notes and transcripts of all our episodes, and follow us on Instagram at SplankNex underscore podcast. Claire T. Walker is an independent author with two self-published books, The Keys of Death and Startling Figures. Learn more about Claire and her books at ClaireTWalker.com.